It's game on. Welcome to Game On, episode three ninety. What? 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 Um, I. This is my podcast. It's twenty nineteen, bud. Oh, this is this wrong, is your podcast. Wrong podcast. Wrong podcast. Welcome to Signs, Cosines, and Tangents. Your source for something nineteen hundreds podcast trivia. I don't think we've ever done that. I don't think podcasts existed in This is the podcast where you find out how nerdy can someone get. And the answer is very. <laughs> Too much is the answer. <laughs> well, and we really are going to dive into an ultra nerdy topic with yeah. this episode. Yeah, we, we picked a we picked a good one this this week. So um, nerdy, in fact, that I tried to describe the context of what we were going to talk about in this podcast to a co-worker at a coffee shop this morning, and I think she thinks I'm crazy. I, well. For that reason. Oh, for that reason, no. I mean, but, she's yeah. got evidence of other yeah. problems, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting morning trying to describe our topic and what we yeah. do. She was also very impressed with the fact that we do this live. Like no edits, no post editing. Yeah, I, I've done post. First off, let us know in the comments if you want post editing. We talk. I think we have a, a good, fluid conversation. We structure our show in the, in the sense that we don't need to do much editing. No, we don't. Right, we don't ramble too much. Sometimes there's not a lot of ums and oohs and uhs yeah. either. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. Sometimes. I, but um, you I, know, I, I was I thinking. Think that's true. Oh wait, um. So there, you just did it. I know. It's like I did it on purpose. <sighs> All right. So the tangents. We, we have a packed show for you this week, and we have a lot of tangents. We do. So we're going to start off with numero uno, which I think is uh, Sean's already shaking his head. Sean, have you ever wanted to play a fighting game? The answer to that is no. I know you. You've never wanted I, to play I a play fighting, fighting, fighting games. Game. What's the last fighting game you've played? Injustice 2. Injustice 2. I said injust. I oh, said okay. um injustice oh, too. Um, and I had um, to think about it for a yeah. second. <laughs> so injustice, yeah, good game. I love that game. I, I have both of them. So have you ever played Tekken? Uh, it's uh, absolutely Bandai Namco. You know, it's been going on. It's the war of the whatever. The, the, the it's the one with the, the jaguar head. It's guy. A tournament of the Iron Fist, right? So Isn't it, it the is? one with the jaguar head guy? Yeah. Okay. King. King. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And you know it's the family that fights and everything. Have you? Ever, and that's where Yoshimitsu came from. That is where Yoshimitsu came from. Okay, and that I have played Tekken many oh, times. Wow! So you are you're you're very versed. I'm in also Tekken very old. But have you ever wanted to play Tekken and you're like, you know what, this is missing pigeons. I can't say that I ever thought that. Well, fortunately for you, somebody's developed during a game jam Tekken. But now that you mention it, it's kind of like saying, wouldn't you love a cheeseburger with ghost peppers? And all of a sudden you crave it. I, oh, God. Dang it. <laughs> That's all I want. Um, no, Peckin. The fighting game with pigeons. So, it's it got a complex moveset? No. <laughs> it's a one-button combo. <laughs> combo into a double peck. <laughs> um, boy. Okay. So, that's all. That's all I have for this that, tangent. That is the quality click, that you bring to this episode. Click the link in the show notes and watch the video. Um, I I think it'll bring a smile to your face, and then you'll say that's pretty dumb. Why does anyone listen to this show? 
for the laughs, John. Okay. Well, I thought it was for the highbrow discussion of video game topics. Highbrow? Well, okay. Maybe not highbrow. Pseudo-intellectual? Um, That's you mostly. Yeah. So, next. This is for you. And I found this, and I thought directly about you. So, Skybound has announced a new publishing deal to bring a ton of role-playing games to the console for the first time, including Baldur's Gate um, and that other one, Neverwinter Nights. Oh, see, mm-hmm. I remember, which you've mentioned in the podcast uh, last season. Uh, but most importantly, Planescape Torment. Yeah, which you've not mentioned on the podcast. Yes, I today. have. I don't think you have. I have. Okay. There's well, no way we went through. So yeah, I let's, have. Let's, let's talk about this. These are pretty much exclusively PC games, right? I don't think any of them have seen console release. No, none of them. And nor should they. So I don't think I think they're going to kind of divvy these out. I don't think they're going to do a collection. It doesn't sound like. See, but what? Uh, this is going to completely sound mm-hmm. not me. Well, um, actually, well, I mean, actually, no. What I'm going to say is, this may be the point at which I go. Is this really a smart move? I mean, Pillars of Eternity. And Pillars of Eternity 2 are both on console. And I don't think they're big system sellers. Yeah. And it's basically that style of gameplay. Wasteland 2 also came to the console. Uh, Torment, Tides of Numenara came to the console. All of them are cut from the same kind of cloth. Right. And I don't hear anybody talking about them. And I play them on the PC when I play them. So I, I just... Is this a... I mean, I guess it's a complete cash grab. But well, I think they're they're announced for one pretty popular s- system. Um, the GBA. Yeah, the modern day GBA. No, the Switch. So there does bring the portability aspect into play. Well, they're already available on the Android, so it probably wasn't and the i i store, the i store, or whatever yeah, the as, hell that. As all Apple users know <laughs> it, the i store. Yeah. Um, the Apple Store. Sorry. I don't know. I think I think it's interesting for somebody like me who doesn't miss those games, especially Baldur's Gate and the older ones, because um, I didn't play those kind of games when I was younger. And you're calling me old? No, I'm just saying I kind of miss them. <laughs> uh, it gives an opportunity for other people. I I only see it as a good thing, right? I mean, I'm you glad can... that you see value in your legacy. In the history that, that has brought us to this point in gaming. But here's the sad part. And this came up in a conversation before we started recording tonight. And uh, I we were talking about games. And I'm like, hey, you know, have you played this game? And he's like, oh, yeah, I've got it for the PS4. But I'm waiting for it to come to the Switch or I'm not going to play it. I'm like, well, and we're not talking about it later in the show notes when we talk about the Nintendo Direct. But it was part of what was released in that. And that was the uh, Dragon Quest Eleven. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, it's an amazing game. And he's like, yeah, I know. I've got it in the box downstairs, but I'm waiting for the Switch. What? Yeah. Well, it wasn't confirmed to be released for the Switch when they brought it to the PS4. Right. Well, no, nothing so, is because the Switch is the catch-all the of The Switch games. is all-encompassing. Uh, all right. Switch let's is move life. on. We'll come back to the Switch. Oh, We're no. going to spend like half the tangents on the Switch. No, it's like a quarter or and a third. I put the, the most shocking part is I put most of these in the show notes. You did. So, so let's move on to something that's a little less video game focused. Okay. Um, so there was an 
article that came out this week talking about a classic reveal that happened in the Justice League Unlimited TV series mm-hmm. um, that was a kind of an unofficial follow-up sequel to the it Batman. It was basically the series finale for Batman Beyond. Because it, it didn't an- get one. Right. Right. So, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, Batman Beyond. Spo- uh, 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 spoiler. spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a spoiler. And, and I don't... Can't find the soundbite. No, I, I, I... We're gonna spoil something. Always on it, Jared. There you go. You're Sorry. amazing. I wasn't ready. I, we didn't have it in the notes. <laughs> I, this is one aspect of life. But this is a big spoiler if you're a fan of Batman Beyond. So Batman Beyond. I'm gonna explain it just briefly for the people that aren't familiar with it. It was an animated series, and it... It was initially an animated series. This wasn't based on a comic. Um, and it told the tale. It was Gotham City, and it's what, like a 50-year jump? Yeah. Um, Gotham City in the future. Bruce Wayne is old. He He's confronted with, an, with the one time where he was down on the ground and uh, criminals beating him up, and he reaches for a gun, basically out of self-preservation. And that's where he decides it's time for me to hang up the cow, so to speak. And at this point, he's maybe in his 50s. Yeah. So, I mean, he's kind of... Um, enter Terry McGinnis, and I forget. Does he just... Does he stumble into the Batcave? I don't remember the, the um, beginning. He was a street punk, and, and basically he ends up in the Batcave by accident. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bruce sees him and sees potential in him as he's raised many wards. Um, and... Introduces him to a new brand. It's as if Batman in the future. That's really what you need to know. It's Batman in the future. He's got a technological suit. He's got a flying bat wing that goes everywhere. Um, he can see in infrared and all this other stuff. And he's part of the future Justice League. Yeah. And, and then eventually, yeah, he, he becomes part of the future Justice League in an episode. Um, but yeah, it was two seasons and a well, movie. I think it's three. Three seasons and, and a, a movie. movie. Return of the Joker. Yeah. Return of the Joker, which well, is. Also very it, fantastic. Well, which is interesting because at the time, DC had not adapted the Red Hood storyline. Yeah. And it it's, takes elements from that to talk about what it happened does. to Jason yeah. Todd. Yeah. So. Well, it's no, it's not It's not Jason Todd. It's Tim. It's Tim. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, you're right. right. Um, so anyhow, never got a full series finale. And then Ju- uh, Justice League Unlimited did an episode set in the future. In fact, they also did a, Ju- a Justice League episode set in the future. Was that in Batman Beyond? Mm-hmm. Where he saves the Justice League of the future from these aliens that are taking over people's minds, which is great. And then they kind of say, hey, Terry, welcome to the League. Yep. Um, and Superman's still there because Superman, he has gray hair, but he's not really any different. Because Kryptonians age differently. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Justice League Unlimited. They have an episode in the middle. It was was it a season finale? It was, the end of, it was near the end of the last season. Yeah. And we get we get a, a, a story. We get basically we get the story of how Batman ended being Batman, which I told you. And it's revealed that Terry McGinnis um was a clone of Bruce Wayne um from Amanda Waller. Yes. Basically it's the Batman project. And they've done this in the comics where Bruce Wayne has the contingency plan to raise the next Batman where he has this 
computer scenario to raise. He's always thinking about the next Batman, but in this sense, somebody else was. And it's revealed he's a clone. And that, for some fans, took away from the fact that Terry McGinnis was his own character, self-made, such in the way, if you want to uh, think of a parallel for those that saw Spider-Man into the, into the Spider-Verse, Miles Morales is not Peter Parker. He's not a relation to Peter Parker. And the whole gist of that marketing campaign was, you know, anybody could become Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what they were going with Terry McGinnis, right? I mean, originally. Originally. Um, so, back to our link. The article posits that it was a good thing he was a clone. And their basic argument is he was raised as a clone and they had an initial plan to kill his parents to simulate Batman's origins. But they didn't do it. Um, actually, the, and it ties well, back into Mask of the Phantasm, um, which is another Batman animated series movie um, where the Phantasm basically says, I can't I can't do this. So Terry is raised with loving parents um, and it kind of contrasts to say that was unnecessary to make a Batman. So, well, but to be fair, go ahead. Terry does lose his father and that is the catalyst for how he becomes Batman. But it was like natural progression. But he was a teenager. He was a teenager, but he was still raised with parents and he still has a mom in his life. Yes. And a little brother. Right. He has a family. He Mm -hmm. still has a a family. Unlike Bruce, that was kind of stripped from his. Um, So I guess the the main argument is it's it's a show that, yeah, he's a clone, but that didn't make him Batman is basically the argument. As opposed well, to, they actually make that argument in the episode. Yeah, but I think I don't think they make it as distinctly as they kind of raised here. And I think it was also just a distance of time for people to kind of react to what they were trying to say. I guess so. There's there's a final scene in the episode where Amanda Waller, who's a very old woman at this point, is talking to a slightly older Terry McGinnis. So in the TV series, he's a teenager. He's 17, 18, 19 years old. Right. This Terry is definitely in his 20s, maybe even pushing close to 30. Yeah. And he's discovered this, right? And Bruce Wayne is still alive. He won't die, the the bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. Um, And so Terry confronts Waller and says, did he know? Did he plan this? And she goes, no, this was my plan. And we gave you everything you needed to become Batman and then we couldn't do it, and you still became Batman. What does that say about Bruce Wayne? And that's kind of the way the episode ends. Yeah. Right? And that's the last animated Batman Beyond story. Yeah, but I think I think the fan reaction was he wouldn't have been Batman otherwise. And I think what we're saying is the argument is that that wasn't, what made him Batman. And and again, I, I think so. the writer said that in the original episode. Yeah. So anyhow, watch the video. Let us know what you think. If you haven't, if you haven't to this point, DC universe in your life, watched Batman, the animated series or Batman beyond, or now the new Batman adventures. I, well, don't we watch don't that know. one. Um, <laughs> mask of the phantasm return oh. of the Joker or justice of league unlimited. Um, and you're a fan of DC comics, those stories and and animation still hold up in 2019. 
Uh, they have not been able to meet that level of quality. Um, Mask of the Phantasm and Return of the Joker are two of the best Batman stories, period. And they're, they they started as animated films. Yeah. Which is amazing. Uh, Batman Beyond, just so you know, was adapted into a comic book later, but it's just one of those cool, just like Harley Quinn, that kind of or, the origin. Well, she started you know, in, in the, the animated, animated series. series. So, yeah, like Sean said, there is DC Unlimited, and those series are available for streaming. And I think I think the movies we mentioned I might be. I don't think Phantasm's on there. But I think they will be. Um, they're dribbling and drabbling out. But Batman Phantasm. the Animated Series is definitely there, and that's the place where you start. So, And Batman Beyond is a great series. It, it really is. So, I mean, if you have not watched it, uh, and you consider yourself a fan of Batman, I definitely recommend i think you will find that show is the level of quality that you'd get out of anything else today okay so moving on enough batman fanboyism yeah let's uh let's talk about something important a battle royale game oh my gosh not another battle royale game i am so tired wait but wait there's a different twist on this one i'm so tired of battle royale games did you do you remember that series of games that was put out by the people who created call of duty um that were they were you're in giant robot Flops. No, well, yeah, yeah. Towerfall? No. Um, no, not Towerfall. Titans? Uh, not Teen Titans. Teen Titans? Teen Titans is Towerfall? Uh, Titanfall. 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 So, this is a Battle Royale game. With Titans? With a big with giant no Titans. Robots? With what? no Titans. With In no the Titanfall robots. universe. No robots? There is a robot. What robot? Um, I forget what his name is, but there is a robot and it's a hero battle royale. Ah. So like a hero fighter, like a, an overwatch. Yeah. Where you have specific heroes. So like overwatch, this is like a $60 game. I got to go buy now. No, this is free. Oh, with microtransactions, which means nothing's ever free. Wait, but it's not, it's not uh Fortnite. That's free too, supposedly. But you, you're saying it's like an adult competent shooter. Based on my experience, I'm much more apt to play Apex Legends. Uh, listen, I'm tired of Battle Royale games. No, you're so not. We're going to come back to that. No, I'm sick of them. They, okay. They're going to get you. They're going to make a game. They'll never make a game All right. a Battle well, Royale game. We'll see. Okay. Um, next on the list, Sean, you and I watched this. Uh, Pixar released a new short. Yes. And we've linked to it in the show notes. Yes. Um, can't remember the name off the top of my head. Sorry. Good research, Jared. Anyhow, do you want to talk about this short? I'm not sure I want to talk about the short. Why not? <sighs> All right. So I'm going to put in my old man, foggy conservative hat for a minute. Hold on. Make America great. Wait, it already is. Okay. So yeah. Um, and and I'm, I'm just presenting another point of view, not my point of view. Okay. okay. But I did have an immediate reaction to this when you, I watched it. You did. I saw it in your face. <laughs> and I didn't dislike it. No. But it, it so this is a Pixar film about a ball of yarn who goes to work in a corporation. And it's kind of kind of got a madman feel to it. Mm-hmm. So imagine a 1960s ad agency. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but every male character model had the same face just with different facial hair or different color yeah, or mustache or yeah. and they all wore the same clothes and it was very kind of homogenous yes for the ma- males but there were no females 
of the human variety. No, they're um, balls of yarn. Yeah, and it's Peg, isn't it? No. Pearl. Pearl. Because Peg is Mad Men. What am I thinking? Peggy. Uh, Pearl is the name of the short. And so Pearl goes in and it tells the story of her acclimating to her first day at this bro I think it's bro or something. It is bro yeah. Yeah. And it's a bunch of dude bros. And, and kind of your tri- traditional toxic masculinity portrayals without being overtly aggressive. I was going to say, it wasn't overly toxic. It was just more about just, well, you can keep talking. Yeah. So Pearl comes in and she's a ball of yarn and she doesn't fit in and nobody will talk to her. And then so she starts to uh, acclimate. And she changes her appearance to look like one of the guys. She starts talking like the guys and they accept her. And she's feeling great that she's being accepted. And as she's walking out, there's another ball of yarn, which happens to be female. So you'll see the on the nose representation here. Nothing subtle about this. Uh, And this female ball of yarn walks in. There's also lots of yarn puns there are tons of yarn puns um and pearl basically watches as all the guys dismiss this new ball of yarn as she comes in and she has to make this choice does she continue to adopt the mannerisms of the guys or does she use her newfound visibility to make a change and Ultimately, because it's a Pixar film, she drops the pretense and basically changes the office. Yeah. Well, yeah, not only that, she doesn't like just drop what she's acclimated to. She's kind of she's kind of become that bridge in the sense of acclimating. And what you see is, yeah, eventually it does like a montage and it cuts and there's lots of yarn balls working there now. And it's sort of like a merged culture now. Um, But now you had a reaction. Let's talk about your reaction to this. And then I have my wife's reaction to your reaction over here. Okay, great. (laughs) Uh, So my immediate reaction, so I've got a thing. And, And I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast before. And I think maybe we have about labels. I have a thing about labels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we both do. Yeah. And in identity politics, effectively identity politics. And that's what, that was what my reaction was. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that the message of this was in any way bad. It was, okay. I feel a little bit like this is a little too on the nose and a little too in your face. Um, not a bad story. Not a bad morale. So, so that was your reaction. Yeah. My wife's reaction. And to I my am, reaction. I am, I, well, just in general to the film, not to your reaction, um, was, yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. This speaks to me. Because perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I as males haven't, we're not, we've, We've been in bro culture for a while. Now let's let's speak about bro culture a little bit. Is we've maybe not you, but I'm an introvert. Oh, I'm not an introvert. I know. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say something about bro culture, and maybe but, not me. I'm no, the marine on the podcast. It's, it's hard to <laughs> I, let's take the overall arching message of this film, and it 
it's about acclimating to a, a group and and trying to fit in where you don't fit in. And you know, people like men talk about sports ball. Fortunately, you and I were like sports ball. But we talk about video games. It's we, a different kind of sports ball. It is right. Yeah, and it, or Star Trek, or Star but Wars, when, or Stargate. When you have a conversation, somebody as a coffee shop, and you're trying to expl- bridge <laughs> that culture, so to speak. Yeah, it can be difficult. Um, so yeah, my wife's reaction to you is like he has, he just doesn't understand what it is on the other side, essentially. And that's partially true, and I think that's fair. And I think, I think, I you're right. I, there in, in media. Um, and we're seeing it a lot now. There's kind of that punch in the face. We're going to send you a message. Everybody's equal. You know, you better get aboard. And, 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 and here's why I had a reaction. Yeah. I already feel that way. But the, And I'm getting... This is personal. Yeah. I'm getting tired of being bombarded with a message that I acclimated to. But you're the minority. I will say I, I truly believe that you are in the minority on that. Hmm. Um, I at least at least, and I'm gonna throw out the the, the age term, but for people of your age, for sure. I don't know if that's true. I've okay. I, and it's and again, we're getting to labels. We're generalizing, and I yeah. we can't speak to truthful. So anyhow, I guess what what ultimately we should do is head on out. To the link we shared. Watch the film for yourself. Um, and let us know what you think. Because I don't think we've spoiled anything. It's all about the execution of the film. Watch it and let us know what you think after you you see it. And, and let us know. And and please don't take my emotional reaction to that as not believing in the message. Yeah. It, it was more... Well, again, it, it's, it's... We're allowed... That's the problem today. And I am going to generalize a little bit and get on a small just don't box. say always or never it's like a it's just like a small <laughs> detergent box well it's like a tide pod box right because we don't use detergent. just don't eat it but you are a millennial some people don't feel like you can react like uh, that's one thing i've always said is i sometimes you can control how you react right you can reserve those emotions but i don't think you should be penalized for how you react initially mm-hmm. without having a conversation I think once you have, uh, and have we a, did have that conversation, right? But what I'm saying is, I see a, I, I see a lot, or I feel. I'm using subjective yes, my terms. terms. Um, you know, I think a lot of people penalize for how people react to things. You know, like, uh, well, you don't like it. You don't like anything, or something like that. Or you know, you say that to me all the time. I know, and it's I do it jokingly. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. You've heard. Well, now let's move on. We've got plenty way of too deep, way too soon. We just broke the pace of the entire episode. Let's. Yeah, these are supposed to be quick. All right, so I'm going to talk about something really exciting. Actually, yeah. something that's getting flambéed by the critics unfairly, in my opinion. Unfairly. Which is Alita: Battle Angel. So my wife and I saw it at a special screening early. Uh, we got to see it in 3D, which, by the way, if you have a choice to see this film, 3D is absolutely the way to go. This is produced by James Cameron from a script that he wrote, directed by Robert Rodriguez. So, I mean, you get kind of the sci-fi and action. But with the and crazy editing style of Robert Rodriguez. Exactly. And it's anime, and this is probably the closest you will get to an anime film that is hyper real Mm. Um, not like 
the horrible Ghost in the Shell live action. What about that Dragon Ball movie? The one we don't speak of. Uh. All right, somebody just broke the rules. <laughs> but anyway, so Alita is... If if you go into it expecting a super deep story about the conflict of artificial humanity and real humanity and cyborgs and... Augmentation. Augmentation. This is not that story. This is very simply, on the surface, a story of a young, quote-unquote, girl... Because Alita is found in a trash pile and basically resurrected by a doctor. Was she a human? Originally, she has a human brain. Okay. She's a cyborg. Okay. And and they set up the world beautifully here. This is in the far future. There's been this big war and this conflict between Earth and Mars. And there's a giant floating paradise. Kind of like Elysium, right? Okay. Um, and I would, I would haves, challenge the that... The haves and the have-nots? Yes, <laughs> we Final can Fantasy talk about VII? that as our... Well, it is <laughs> Final Fantasy VII, too. Yeah. But Alita predates all of these things, right? And it's it's very, very well known in the manga community, especially in the mid-90s, which is when it was released. Um, and James Cameron scooped up the film rights almost a year after it started. Okay, so he's had the rates for a while. And he's been wanting to make this film, okay. and then he started making the Avatar films, and he said, look, we can't make Alita until I can put a fully synthetic person on a screen that you will not blink an eye at thinking they're real. The Uncanny Valley. There is no Uncanny Valley here. And that is the most amazing part of this for me. right? So I, I'm an animator. This is something I studied, and it's something I you know, have been interested in watching evolve with avatar you could sidestep the uncanny valley mm -hmm. because the blue monkey people or whatever they were didn't look completely human didn't have to look completely right with alita and alita doesn't look absolutely human she has some augmented features that she has anime eyes and i thought that would be the most jarring thing but within 10 to 15 minutes, it was normal. I, I fully expected to be pulled out of the film. Mm -hmm. And the, the performance motion, motion capture, the actress, Rosa Salazar, who did the uh, voice acting, and the motion capture. So it's actually her. Right. Um, and she doesn't look like Alita, right? So that's obvious. But I was completely, I bought into Alita's journey. There are some bad elements in the film. There's some times when they tell instead of show. Oh. And exposition. they do it fairly badly. Okay. There's exposition dumps, but there's also, like, a good example. And, and if you're going to see the movie, you're going to notice this immediately anyway. So I'm not really spoiling anything. She, as a teenage girl with no memory, right? This is where she thinks she is. And what She's she a is. blank slate? To start. Okay. Yeah, she doesn't end up a blank slate, but she starts out one. Okay. And as she's discovering this world, you as the viewer are discovering this world. And she meets a young, attractive teenage boy. As you do. Named Hugo, who immediately accepts her and kind of, they have this love affair, which is a little truncated. Um, but you could believe that a blank slate teenage girl infatuated with this cool kid you know there's that kind of teenage romance element to it 
there's a scene where he's driving her around Iron City, which is the setting, and telling her things like, this is the place where the, you know, the we live below the, the perfect people, and, and we prey on each other, and bad people are here. And Instead of showing us, they tell us that. And they do it two or three times. Um, the other thing that I think the film suffers for is it has some extraneous characters who are not well used. Uh, and and I'll, le- I'll leave that vague because I don't want to spoil anything. Um, and the and the villain is in the entire film but doesn't show up until the last scene. Mm. The other flaw that I would say, it presupposes we will get sequels. Oh. So it does a good setup, but it doesn't really give a lot of closure to the overall story. Yeah, you kind of want to. You kind of want a first film, even if it's going to be a franchise. And I think it suits. It does that, but it leaves it a little too like this is chapter one in a manga series. Okay. And 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 if you're a fan of the Alita manga, which I am, it covers the first two or two and a half volumes of the manga. And there are some changes in the characters, and, and there's some really great actors in this film, which surprised me when they show up. Um, so, except Ed Screen, who I think is typecast as a dickhead. Yeah. Every role he's in, he's just a dickhead. Yeah. And he is in this. Too. Well, it's James Cameron, so there's going to be, what, seven more movies in this franchise? Well, there's no guarantee of that. I know, but I'm. it's a Avatar um, joke. And this did take like 13 years to produce. Mm. But if he was using this as a test bed for the technology that he wants to use in the next 15 uh, avatar films. Yeah. 15 now. Yep. Then I think it succeeds. I mean, technically it's, it's a beautiful film. So uh, on that front 3d, does it, is it work well as 3d? It does for me. And and I'm, I'm one of those people who gets a lot of enjoyment out of 3D. The one thing I will say, because of the speed of the action, if you cannot get seats in a theater with a direct view of the screen, because most projectors are calibrated, right? don't sit at the bottom or below eye level. Okay. Because the, the motion blur will probably not read right for you. And I had that challenge because I had seats a little bit lower than I would have liked. And there were moments where the blur was bad. But so overall, great definitely film. Definitely recommend. Absolutely. Yeah, when I saw the trailer, it looked very interesting. I don't have any familiarity with the uh, manga. Uh, I I am. I think I bought the first volume so I could get caught up to speed with it. But um, just the just the the style and the 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 cyborgs and the the battling, it just looks cool. It looks like a just a general cool sci-fi film. And from what I've read, it tells the journey of Alita pretty well. Like it's a cool. It tells the beginning of her journey. It's a cool story yeah. for her. So um, let's move on. And I don't want. I don't want to spend. I just don't want to spend too much time on this. Like maybe twenty okay, seconds. Go. Ghostbusters is getting a sequel, and there's a teaser trailer, and it's 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 not not the new Ghostbusters. Not not the one. The the all female cast. They're they're pandering to fans. And it's why it's, don't they do a crossover? Why wouldn't they do a crossover? That would actually be kind of cool. I mean, that was the number one question when they were talking, and this kind of, like, you know, I didn't even think about it. No, I think I did when I wrote this down. 
is it kind of leads into our main topic discussion, which we'll get to, is with the uh, all-female cast, a lot of people are like, it's a reboot, but then they had cameos from all the original actors of Ghostbusters, and it redid yeah. a lot of the origin stories. When a lot of people just said, you know, we're okay with an all-female cast, but just throw it in that universe. Yeah, pay homage yeah. to how you got here. So, um, but this one's basically, I guess, Sony's apology for the all-female. We'll We'll I don't know. It just looks... Ernie Hudson has not been approached. I'm just kind of done with the whole Ghostbusters thing. I mean, I, th- those films are great. Um, the one with the all-female I th- cast I think was... they're films for a time. They, well, it's that 80s golden well, age. And I ha- I've been trying to come up with a term for this. I haven't... I think... Uh, this is a theory I'm working on, by the way. Getting a little... Is that there are certain works of art that could have only been created... At the time they were. At the time they were. <laughs> And we keep trying to revisit these franchises. Back to the Future. Back to the Future. You cannot make that today. No. You can't take that premise and just absorb. It was the, it's like sort of like lightning in a bottle Mm -hmm. or light, you know, capturing lightning in a bottle, but it's also just tied that to time that just like Back to the Future, that lightning is only going to strike at that time and it won't strike again. So yeah, yeah, moving on. Sean, this is interesting. Because we've heard about how Marvel's pulling out of Netflix with all their shows. But Marvel and Hulu, which Disney owns a good stake in Hulu, Mm -hmm. um, has announced a huge slate of animated series featuring some of Marvel's uh, more interesting characters. C-list, let's be fair. I think the fun list. Um, Okay. Except for one. So we've got Howard the Duck, which... Awesome. We've got, Except, especially if they get Steve Purcell to write some of the stories, or they yeah. take some well, of the Steve got, Purcell stories. Um, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but they've got the series I'm looking forward to the most is Modoc. Yes, <laughs> I can't. I can't wait to see a Modoc series. But then also on that list is Dazzler. If you're talking C list, Dazzler. Hey, C-list. she's the mutant who makes sound turn into light she's worse than jubilee she's the disco <laughs> queen yeah dazzler has actually been converted into a more interesting character over the years yeah but she's kind of faded back out of well, the I think, so we're seeing and we've got uh patton oswald i know he's mm-hmm. a contributor i forget who else is but we're seeing some good names attached to the writing these series and i think they are tailing them towards the adult crowd they're they not going to be. be. They're not going to be like uh, the Disney XD series, which aren't bad. But so I don't know. I I think it's interesting. It it says that they're moving to Hulu. It's weird that it says isn't Disney Plus launching this year? Yeah, but these must be um, more risky, and they don't want to put them on their primary series, or they want to generate the content, and they don't have enough space in the time slots. I guess time slots for a streaming network. Well, I mean, they kind of think that way. Well, I think when they they're doing marketing materials for, hey, this is what's on our streaming network. They're kind of saying like, oh, you know, this is yeah, this is the Marvel dark side, so to speak. So Um, that's fun. Um, So let's talk about this. We talked about mobile games a bit in a few episodes. Yeah, we have. But I, I, this is interesting. This really kind of made me sit back and think a little bit. Um, Fire Emblem Heroes, which is the mobile version of Fire Emblem. It's sort of like chibi Fire Emblem Light. I played it for a while. It wasn't my cup of tea. It also has a lot of microtransactions, doesn't it? It does. And speaking of microtransactions, they've raised 
half a billion dollars in revenue. What's game. the geographic distribution on that? It's global. Okay, so this not- this this it has launched in like I think China. I mean, most of their mobile apps have launched globally, so they're hitting markets that they haven't hit before with their normal consoles. Because I mean, from the circle of people I know who play mobile games. Fire Emblem was kind of a flash in the pan. It it came out, everybody was excited about it. The microtransaction heavy well, had approach. That, uh, Gachapon sort of style where you could get more heroes, but you could get the same hero three times, and you had to trade in five heroes to upgrade the hero to a newer hero, and then it yeah. was like, he's a shiny hero, and you want to merge him with the other hero to make a fire type of the same hero, and this is the hero class of that hero, the legendary class of the hero. It was just so... So you're getting to the point that I was going to make. <laughs> Most everybody encountered the game, yeah. played it for a little while, and said, eh, I don't have the time for this. Unlike Animal Crossing, which people are still playing. Yeah, and I think Animal Crossing fits the mold a little bit, but I still think they do those weird mobile trends that, like, waiting for things to spawn. Unless you want to pay money and things spawn faster. But you do that in Animal Crossing. But it's... Because I used to manipulate the clock on my GameCube version. Yeah, it's tied to the day-night cycle. But they explicitly say, if you want it now, go ahead and give us some coins. Well, okay, so you can accelerate... Taking over the uh, mobile <laughs> Tom Nook at the White Slaver. So I don't know. Half a billion dollars is very impressive. It is. That is successful, and I think that's good for Nintendo overall um, and mobile games. And it's not my bag. It's not. Yeah, it's not our jam. Um, moving on. So there. So this w- is the part of the tangents we call the Nintendo Direct section. This is the part where Jerry gets a little too excited, and yeah, okay. So Nintendo had a direct. Um, which we had been waiting in January. We didn't get anything and we kind of didn't know what was coming out in 2019 for switch other than some of the, you know, we had animal crossing announced. We had Luigi's mansion three. We knew that Pokemon's coming out this year and we knew a fire emblem game was coming out this year, but those are sort of the, um, but those were very high level. Those are the niche games, right? Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to buy a switch because of Luigi's mansion or Pokemon. Maybe. Pokemon, I would say, would be a system seller. Yeah, but Pokemon's a very specific crowd, right? I mean, it's a, it's a. That's fair. So, we got uh, quite a few announcements. Let's move through these fairly quick. Right. Well, yeah, we don't think there's much to talk. But let's start with Super Mario Maker Two. When I um, wrote my article about the decline of the Wii U, um, and I knew I pulled a few people that had bought the Wii U, and I said, "What was your favorite part about the Wii U?" Because I had my favorites, but everybody else said. My favorite part of the Wii U was Super Mario Maker. It a lot of people really loved that game, um, and that was where the Wii was totally the Wii U was totally worth it. Um, so Super Mario Maker Two is coming out, and it does have a challenge because there is no gamepad, no stylus to edit, um, mm-hmm. to edit on the screen. But if you saw in the trailer, um. They've got a new layout, and I think it's going to be fine. I think it's going to be fine. But cool. they did something that Nintendo, very un-Nintendo-like. The very first thing they showed off in the game in Super Mario Maker 2, you're thinking, oh, it's two, it's going to have two players, that's the first thing they showed? No. No. They showed slopes. 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 <laughs> the number one trend with Super Mario Maker, which I never got, was people wanted to make hills in their levels. I didn't see it that as that monumental to, to Mario and making levels, but people would not shut up on the internet 
about slopes. People on the internet not shutting up. I know. About so something. This is the first thing they show off. They niche? show. Excuse me. They show off a ton of different new elements, enemies, and they showed off one new style, which I thought was interesting. They're doing Super Mario 3D World in 2D style. Hmm. So that makes me wonder, are we going to get other 3D games in a 2D style? Are we going to get Mario Galaxy levels where we're doing on the uh, globes? How, how, I don't even think you could do that. It can be done. That would be interesting. It would be interesting. So I want to know if you guys are excited for this. I giggled when I saw it. This started off with the, the director like little school this. girl. I did. The other thing they ended with in this trailer was a new Zelda game, mm-hmm. a well, 2D not Zelda new. game. Not new. 2D Zelda game. I'm going to get into this. I'm going to clarify. <laughs> Link's Awakening for the Nintendo Switch. Now, it's not necessarily new because Link's Awakening was the first Zelda game for a handheld on the original Game Boy system. Yep. That isn't, it wasn't even color. It was not originally color. Now, what I've, I was trying, I was explaining Link's Awakening to Erica before because she wasn't familiar with that one. Um, Link's Awakening, it, it's for fans of the series that one has a lot of magic it's very charming and it's there's a lot of things that are hard to explain to somebody that's never played it but um so you you see the trailer and it opens basically link washes up on an island um he's out journeying and he's in a storm and they reanimated this cutscene from the game boy in full anime style and that, when I saw that, I was like, I knew what we were getting. This has been rumored for a while. Mm-hmm. Now, the art style, Sean, what did you think of this? They went with a very toy-like it, chibi style. I was going to say, it looks very toy-like, like little plastic people. Yeah. Almost like meeples. Yeah, so a lot of people didn't like the art style of A Link Between Worlds. I didn't have a problem with it. I, thought no, I, I liked either. it. I liked it. I think people were just like, meh. So this one's taking a very direct art style. Now, the interesting thing with this game is every scene they showed off was a direct one-to-one scene with the Game Boy game. Mm-hmm. And they've they've marked this as a reimagining of the game. And that Game Boy game's not super long. For the Game Boy at the time, it was huge. Yeah, but it's like a six-hour experience. It's not. Yeah, it's not. Overall, it's not. a. It's, it's definitely going to be quicker than A Link Between Worlds or the Phantom Hourglass or anything like that. So I'm wondering, you know, are we going to get more? Is this going to be an eShop title? Um, Maybe a $15 game? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, But I will tell you, Link's Awakening is definitely worth it. And everything I've seen, if you haven't played it, you should be excited for this. Okay. Yeah, I know you want to hurry. You took forever on Alita, and I can talk two seconds about Zelda. Oh, don't. Don't do that. <laughs> no, there's one we want to get to. So the other thing in the direct that Sean and I are both excited for is we're getting a true non-mobile Fire Emblem game. Yes. With a lot of lot more RPG elements. Fire Emblem Hogwarts. Yeah. There's there's different schools that you can become a member of. And so unlike the mobile games where you had to buy different cartridges to get different storylines. They only did that with one. I know. But that was the most recent. Uh, no. no, that's not true. That's it was not true. Two back, yeah. But Fire Emblem Fates, yeah, Fates, where they basically had, had one storyline where you made a decision to go with one kingdom, and that was one game. They made another one, and then they released a third paid DLC that was a third bridge. Yeah. Um, or you could be like me, and I bought the the dual cart one. So of course, but in this one, basically, you've got at least three 
different, different story stories. Lines. Yeah. So there's replayability depending on which leader or which kingdom you decide to mentor. And Fire Emblem, for those that haven't played it, it's a tactical RPG game. And the difference with it is the people you run into, the people that become part of the members of your party and your team, they are not expendable. Well, they well, are expendable. They are expendable. They're not disposable. They're not disposable. They're not generic. They die. And they're not generic. You build storylines. You build... As you go on, as they stay part of your party, you build relationships. It's the XCOM effect. It's it's a little deeper than XCOM. Well, right. In but, XCOM, yeah. they're kind but of the pawns. longer they're the longer they're around, the more powerful they are. But, the more connected you get. But there's also RPG and story elements that tie in when you connect certain characters together. Like if Sean and I were fighting on the battlefield next to each other, and we defeated an enemy, we would level our relationship up. Mm-hmm. Much like this podcast. Every podcast we do, <laughs> we strengthen our bond. At 34 um, episodes, we're pretty good. 30, uh, 33 official. I corrected you about that originally. Anyhow, it looks great. They took the animation style of the cutscenes mm-hmm. and have put it really totally into the game. And it, it almost immediately reminded me of kind of Valkyria Chronicles. Yeah. And it's that approach. sort of cel-shaded anime look. And it and it's, yes, it's strategy, but it feels alive. Yeah. Right, it's not just a, a then, side thing like a, you know, a, an old. Well, I'm not going to bag on Advance Wars because I love Advance Wars, but yeah. Fire Emblem had kind of the same presentation for a long time. Now this feels much more dynamic, much more cinematic. Well, what we're seeing in this one is instead of direct on character on character battles, we're seeing armies in the background, so it feels larger in scope. Yep, I don't know. It looks good. It's coming out in July. Um, if you like those types of games, it's great. Sean mentioned Advance Wars. Quick shout out to Wargroove, which War is on Groove, the Switch. Yes, that's your Advance Wars equivalent. Um, you do have disposable characters. You can, you know, eh, throw them away. So, so you said there would never be a battle royale game that no. would get your attention. I what I'm if tired of, what I'm if tired of, you can't just throw Battle Royale into any game. Mario if, Battle Royale? What if I made a Tetris Battle what? Royale? I'm sorry, what did you say? Tetris. Tetris? You and 99 other people concurrently playing what? competitive yeah? Tetris in that Battle Royale amazing. as you shrink from 99 to 1. That sounds so cool. When's this coming out, Sean? Already out. What? How much is it? Free. On what system? Switch. Well, it's not free. You have what? to be a member of the Nintendo Online. Oh, I've got that. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know I've said some things about Battle Royale games before. Yeah. Um, yeah. This came out of nowhere. Um, Sean and I have talked about Tetris Effect on the show. It's the opposite. It's and absolutely I, the opposite. Self, self-plug, and I'll put it in here. I wrote an article about my love for Tetris Effect and described it in great detail. Now he's going to have to write his love about this. This is the exact opposite. Tetris Effect is the chill zen. I'm going to relax and play Tetris, and there's not really a lot of pressure. This is hardcore. It is. High intensity. Ten people can be attacking you at the same time. Tetris. Because you're doing too well. Yeah. You So you can... The way this kind of works, briefly, is it's normal Tetris. Um, if you've ever played multiplayer Tetris, you know if you get two, three, or a Tetris, you send garbage to your opponents. Yep. 
The difference in this is you can kind of target who you're attacking. You can just do random out of the 99. You can go for kill shots, which are people that are near the top of their screen. You can automatically target those people and just screw them over. You can target the people that are have marked you as a target, kind of as a counter. And the last one is you can target people with badges, which are basically the people that are doing really well in the game. So you can kind of target the top players. So you kind of have to flip between them much. And it really, that's, I would say that's 25% of the gameplay. Yeah. 75% of it is just being able to react and play Tetris. And it's fast too. Yeah. I mean, it's really, if you're, if you're a casual Tetris fan, you probably will be a little overwhelmed trying to play well, I this. Think if you're a casual Tetris player, I, I still recommend playing this because it's free if you have Nintendo Switch Online and kind of just seeing what Tetris can be. Um, and then running away crying. And then maybe go play Tetris Effect after that. Yeah. But uh, I took this a little little seriously. And, uh, well, Sean, I did it. Yes, you were number one. I did it. And you average, like, four to, to one most of the time, right? Yeah, I'm usually in the top five, mostly. Um as soon as I showed Sean, because he hadn't seen it yet, I <laughs> did poorly, but yeah. It's um, okay. It is, forgive it. it is really fun, and it's rumored they're going to be adding different modes to this, like a team battle. Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen a lot of people in the professional Tetris world talk about if they have a land mode for this, so you can basically set up That'd a tournament. Awesome. That would be really cool to watch. Yeah. So Right now it's random. You can't choose who you play against. Yeah, you can't party up or anything like yeah. that. So Okay, um, so we can't get through a podcast, it seems, <laughs> without talking about Final Fantasy. What? And specifically, it seems, Final Fantasy VII yeah. or Final Fantasy IX. Yeah. So let's talk about both of them. Okay. Coming to the Switch. Great. Mobile version. What? Well, at least... Nine is so, the mobile. Same as the PC version. But. So fortunately, yeah, and I... Well, which... Because 7 came out in the PC like a year ago. 7 is on the PC, and that's actually a superior version. It, so it is that version of 7. The, we don't know. They actually didn't say. Yeah, so... Um, but there's no mobile version of 7. That's good, because I, I remember buying Final Fantasy 7 on PC when it came out. Like It was buggy. It, it was bad. Yeah. But it's been fixed over and over and over again. So, yeah, these are the mobile versions, but I don't think these are, like, the mobile equivalents that Final Fantasy VI was. Oh, no. So... And I've played Final Fantasy IX on PC. Final Fantasy IX is already out on Switch, so... Is it? Well, that's right. It came out at the time of the Final Fantasy VII's either in March March or April. It's March. Um, Yeah. What do you think about this? I'm not buying Final Fantasy VII again. I'm not buying... Either of the game again? I, I might consider 9. Well, the question is, you know, Final Fantasy VII Remake has kind <sighs> of gone dark, right? Well, it's been... Yeah. It's been like four years. To the extent that they've actually thrown out what they were doing and started over again. It's yeah. another Final Fantasy thirteen. Yeah. Or fifteen. Yeah. Or any Final Fantasy so made in the last What can you say for people years? that have never played 7 or 9? So... If you've never played them, they really are the, the the hallmark of traditional Japanese RPGs before everything went action-oriented. Mm, yeah. Nine, Nine was, is a fantasy story. Nine is the last hurrah for traditional Final Fantasy. And it was the final Final Fantasy... Oh, God, I just said you that. You just did it. It was the last Final Fantasy released on the original PlayStation. Correct. And it was only... It was released, I think... 
One Nine year. months yeah. after eight. Final it was Fantasy the apology eight. letter for eight. <laughs> uh, eight has many, many problems, and, and the story is only one of them. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, however, we talk about all the time. It's kind of seen as this landmark title that saved Square Enix. It did, and but it still has a lot of flaws. Um, it, it's long. It's long. It has a lot of that grinding, and there's a lot of story beats that I don't think people will remember. <laughs> well, the cross-dressing scene is everybody's favorite. Yeah. So I mean, it it definitely was pioneering, but there's a lot of there's a lot of rough edges around it that I think people have glossed over with Rose Ten and Diet. So it's interesting. You know, I love Seven. It's yeah. one of my favorite games. I love Nine. But Nine is the game I played for my kids. Really? So if you talk to my oldest daughters, I know they them. will tell you the names uh, I gave the characters, not the names they have in oh, the game. Oh, okay. I'll have to ask them. Yeah. Ask them what Vivi's name is. Okay. They will have a different answer. Nine has a really cool different story. It is a fantasy story, but it, it's is. A, it does a little, it kind of zags where most zig, I guess. And, and the scale and the scope is big. But the story is still pretty personal. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's not um, like end of the world destruction like Final Fantasy VI. And the protagonist is actually not the person the story is about. Yeah, he's just... He's sort of like a blank, blank slate. Well, um, and for... It's a c- yeah. common trope. Um, but, uh, so, yeah. So, if you if you haven't played it, do you give these a recommendation? Absolutely. Well, I don't know how they're going to play on the Switch. I would assume they'll play fine. So... If they perform like the PC version, Final Fantasy IX has been up so the, the character models are nice and sharp. They look fairly modern. The problem is going to be the backgrounds. Yeah. Exactly. Which there's a bunch of people working to use deep AI to up backgrounds for the yeah, PC the, versions. For the, the mods, yeah. But you can't do that on the Switch. So be prepared for think- some... I think if you're willing to look around janky P- early 3D games, which that's that's the roughest PS1. one. PS1 and N64, right? Those yeah. are the roughest of rough 3D games that kind of, you know, when everybody was talking about an N64 mini, I was but like... But 9, it's 3D is actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, and even its cutscenes... Is... Well, and they did, they did pre-rendered backgrounds. Like, you're right. not doing... So, those... That was something very iconic yeah. of those Final Yeah, Fantasy they games. weren't modeled. It, they yeah. weren't building everything as buildings. Yeah. They were just pictures. So you just added something in the middle as we were talking to I the did. show notes. So it's not often that my professional life and my personal life collide. Art student, right? Yeah. Uh, Roll20, which is the virtual tabletop that's free for people to use to run online role-playing games, today came out and announced that they had suffered a security breach. Oh, wow. With the exposure of personal information and passwords. Okay. So So, this is our public service announcement. If you are a user of Roll20, and we talk about traditional RPGs on here, so maybe some of you are, you need to go and reset your passwords and ultimately, if you were one of those people who chooses to reuse passwords, bad practice, but we know people do it. If you use that password anywhere else, you need to go change it because they have your email account and they have your password. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to wear my hat too. Um, 
I highly recommend for anybody, if you're not using a password manager in 2019, to use a password manager. LastPass, 1Password, there's plenty of options out there. Yeah. We don't, I don't think we recommend one or the other, but I, I use LastPass. I use 1Password, so we're so, both, we're both, both different. And KeyPass. And, and the, and the great thing about these products is they can easily tell you where you're using the same password. So yes. you could say, oh, roll 20, and you could say, oh, using the same password on Yahoo, Google. <laughs> Yahoo, gonna... well, then it was already exposed. <laughs> so, and, and the other great thing is those kind of tell you when sites they've been integrating with sort of websites that tell you when there are breaches. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not telling, you're not hearing it from a, a gaming podcast like ours for your security news. Hopefully we are not your security <laughs> podcast. But the great thing about them is they'll tell you if they've been reached recently and warn you to go ahead and change them. Um, so I think bo- we both highly recommend that as an yes. easy security strategy. Again, putting our professional lives in front of our personal lives in this case, but do good things. Yeah. So protect go yourself. Forth. It's a scary world out there. It is. So, Sean... Yeah, I I chose this this week's main topic, but I need you to kind of help rein it in because I've got a like I said rough edges. So let's go ahead and play our our music. And I didn't tell you what this was. So We're talking about Stargate? Sort of, yeah. Cool. Um, specifically, the Stargate franchise. Well, no, we're not. We're talking about canon. Well, we're going to get into that. So, what I wanted to talk about this week, and then we said this was going to be a very geeky subject, is... Warning, warning. Warning. Nerds approaching. Neckbeard. Nerds! <laughs> um, <laughs> Is is the the concept and the power of a canon of creative works, and we're going to get into the franchise sort of side. Okay, of it. so they're kind of two separate. Explain to me what this concept. Is. What is canon? Canon is continuity. It's story, as you explained it to me earlier. <laughs> huh. I know. Storytelling continuity. Basically, it means, hey, in episode three, they said all ships can't go faster than the speed of light. And then in season three, they say, oh, this ship's going faster than the speed of light. They don't explain it. Or they do explain it. But that's just inconsistencies in storytelling. That's not a breaking of canon, is it? Well, if you don't explain it, it can be an inconsistency and the what canon does is it enriches the world it sets the rules it's by rules. which a world or a story is told but the rules themselves see i think what the power of canon is is it's an enrichment <laughs> the power of the canon. power of canon where are you going rebel man? xti4 <laughs> yeah with zoom lens sorry is it's an enrichment power right for the real fans of a series they start you start getting involved a little more with the the worlds, the characters, especially if you ever rewatch the series. You know, Sean and I are huge fans of quite a different franchises: Star Trek, Stargate, Star. Well, not anymore. Um, <laughs> you were almost going to say that, weren't you? I know. I'm done with but it. Why? 
we talk about canon. Canon is basically consistency between characters, between rules, between events and histories of this created world. Now, when you're telling a story, you may just want to tell a story. A discrete story, story. A discrete story. With a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right. And what we're seeing, you know, what we're seeing more in popular culture um, is we're seeing, you know, usually it used to be TV shows, especially were serialized or not serialized. The opposite of serialized. There were um, discrete episodes, single stories, single, everything stories. resets at the end. Yeah. Star Re- Trek return of the status quo, right? Is the, right. the, is the term, you know, like they defeated the enemy and everybody's happy and they're going on to the and next And that planet. changed. Right around the time that Lost became popular, and it it wasn't that they hadn't done serial storytelling before that, but Lost was yeah, that you, first series to well, kind you, of. You still had part one and part two, and then and we even back then we had Deep Space Nine, which was heavy, continuity. heavy serialized, yeah. heavy continuity, and kind of you couldn't watch episode six in the. Season. But the difference is that it didn't become mainstream until popular culture kind of embraced. Shows yeah. like Lost, right, or Breaking Bad, or Mad you know, it, if you think about it, do you remember? You know, we're kind of both a little older when we watch sitcoms regularly. Mm-hmm. But do you ever remember on a very special episode of uh, Home Improvement or and, Family Ties, or, or and it was it'd be like a serious subject, but it would be something they never address ever again. again. Yeah, it was a, it, it was to get their um, public service hours in so they could keep their sponsorship and, yeah. and meet FA, FCC regulations. So I have a couple talking points right now about canon and continuity, especially. So, so continuity, let, that's an interesting concept. When we talk about media, we talk about whether we're talking about movies or television or video games, even. Yeah. Right. We, there's plenty of sequels. Well, and, and many of the sequels in video games tend to rewrite the past or change the rules as you know them, and sometimes it happens through a transition of creators. Right. Right. Different creative teams, different development teams, different rights holders. Yeah. But in in what I've always thought when we talk about changes in continuity is if I give you a story and you get to play in this universe that's already established and we have these rules, we have a Bible, like Babylon 5 or Star Trek or you know, Battlestar Galactica. And you have this really neat idea that wouldn't necessarily work according to those rules. The rules can be adjusted. Continuity is there to not restrict you from doing what you need to do to tell the story, but to ensure that you stay within the bounds established of the laws of the story, right? Characters act a certain way if they have certain characteristics and Starships have certain limits, and lasers look a certain way. Well, I have, way. A, I have a particular, a particular exact example of continuity in in um, it's in Star Trek: Next Generation. Okay, so in Star Trek, you've heard of warp speed, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, in in Star Trek, Picard would always use maximum warp, right? We're gonna go to warp nine point seven or whatever the the speed limit was <sighs> in the universe, right? Yeah. There was an episode, I think, in season three, and it was their environmental message episode. Yes, and basically, a scientist comes to the Federation and says, "Listen, warp speed is destroying 
sub it's it's destroying space time. You are you're breaking a hole in space time because you're warping it so much and it's becoming unstable. And it basically it was like a you know in Star Trek there's like basically highways or routes essentially they go between planet A and planet B. You're going to be traveling pretty much the same space between the two. So it was these really heavily used areas between mm-hmm. planets and it, the scientists like whoa you can't you're going to break so you're going to break space time unless you stay between warp five right you stay under warp five they basically set a speed limit in the um star trek universe and they basically make a hey we're going to watch out for the environment and unless it's an emergency we're going to use warp five and this was set for a couple seasons and then well i'm gonna get to it (laughs) this was set for a couple seasons obviously there were tons of emergencies where they're just like it's an emergency we need to get there there was an off comment in a later episode to address this continuity issue. They're like, oh, yeah, they developed a new warp technology and it's no longer a problem. Moving on. But because they got a lot of feedback from people who yeah. were like, in, epi- in season three, episode 14, called The Speed Limit of Light, you, you established that warp speed is X times 10 to the 432nd power. And you can't go faster than warp five, which is five times X times 10 to the 432nd power. There are people out there who knew this, right? Who, who are that deeply invested in the story that they keep track of these things. These are fans, right? The next episode, after they establish the speed limit, they go warp 9.95 like three times. Yeah. And there's never a mention... Oh my god, we just tore up those people's home <laughs> because we s- split space-time by doing this three times. Oh, we had a warp explosion. That could also tear up in space-time. And, and so they, for like two seasons, they proceeded to continue to tell stories where the Enterprise had to go somewhere really fast. Well, and that, that particular episode may have been episode six, but it could have been written anywhere in the middle. And again, we talked about returning to the status quo right. where they never knew the order of episodes they're going to air. So they had to kind of make them fit because they were based. They were meant to be bottles, right? There, there was limited continuity across them because that's good for syndication. Good for syndication. Also visual effects, right? Some episodes were more effects heavy than others. So it took longer to put them in the schedule. And some episodes used the same effects between multiple <laughs> Well, it episodes. depends on how much money they'd spent that season. <laughs> uh, that's the realities of television production. So that's a, that's an example of where continuity comes into play. Fans are like, whoa, 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 whoa. But it gets to the point that we're trying to make that yeah. we established that the maximum speed of the Federation ships, which, by the way, the Romulans didn't care. Yeah, this wasn't, yeah. <laughs> The, the Klingons probably wouldn't address that either, even though they're part of the Federation. The Gorn don't care, yeah. you know. Uh, but Or the Ferengi definitely don't care. No. But anyway, so you've got this set up, and then a fan has latched onto that because it was an important plot po- point of an episode. Well, and they emphasized it, right? It was an, env- environment, it was a, an environmental allegory, right? Mm-hmm. Of we've got to watch out for the environment. Technology has an impact on the environment. We need to be mindful of the environment. We have to be good stewards of our planet and our Correct. galaxy. And so fans latch on to things like this. That that becomes canon for the series. You have established this fact. It's now a fact. Please don't forget it's a fact. Right. And in some franchises with some fandom... It goes a little further than others. 
And and sometimes, I mean, there's there's uh, you know, there's what we call uh, what I can't, what's the term I'm thinking of right now? But being able to to kind of distance yourself from what's happening, basically, like I'm gonna accept it. What's the term for that? Uh, I'm you got me on this one. I normally would know, but I'm addled today. Basically, when a story it's, suspension it's, of disbelief, suspension of disbelief is exactly. What Sometimes we know we've got to do that in these universes. Hey, guess what? There is no Star Trek Enterprise. What? We can't travel at warp speed. Not yet. Cochrane's got to develop the warp drive after wor- World War Three in 1991. No, that took no. They never said it took place in 1991. They did actually. No, they didn't. Look it up. Okay, so this is where it can become a problem. <laughs> okay. Now, now the other part we're talking about facts and canon. That's one aspect of canon. Now, another that I wanted to bring up is Sean. I've been watching a lot of Stargate SG One and Stargate Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Did you know that those shows were based off of a small film, yes. sci-fi film called Stargate by Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, the guys that did Independence Day? Um, I can't think of another one, but they they did a few. Uh, the Day the World Ends or whatever. Those big blockbuster disaster, disaster movies. movies. Yeah, and the film itself is okay. I don't think it's the landmark film it, that a lot of people. It's beautiful. Build up. It's great special effects film. The story, I mean, it's got Kurt Russell, which I love. It's got James, James Spader, Spader, which I love. But the story that they tell, it's like, hey, we went to an alien planet. We found it. It goes there. Um, hey, there's a bunch of kidnapped aliens, humans. And then we came back. That's essentially the story. Yeah. It's a self-bottle contained story. Essentially, some guys got the rights to that at MGM and said, hey, we want to build upon this and build a series. We think it would be really cool. And they called it Stargate SG-1. They took those two characters. They took... Um, Kurt Russell's character, Jack O'Neill, and James Spader's character, Dr. Daniel Jackson, who was an archaeologist, and they turned it into a series. They basically said, oh, yeah, the Stargate doesn't just dial this one planet. It dials all the planets in this galaxy. With a gate. With a gate, right? We just have to figure out the addresses. Right. And guess what? We have smart computers that have simulated, and we think we know how we can get to other places. Right. And they introduced new characters to mm-hmm. the show. And they kind of introduced that the aliens we met in that movie were just one small subset of aliens that are kind of ravaging the galaxy at large. So this is a series that's very near near and dear to my heart. I love Stargate. Um, there's three series. There was Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe. Um, <laughs> the Stargate and Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis took place kind of similar th- well they're similar to what happened with star trek when you had one series <laughs> ending and the other ones kind of yeah, start like deep space nine came in the middle of 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 next, next generation. generation and they kind of did some crossover episodes which was good for fans right and then universe was their kind of ploy to kind of compete with battlestar galactic at the time and it's not bad it's not bad it's just a very different it's a different way and it's a different tone mm-hmm. of what the other the other two shows compared to star trek compared to star wars Anything star related. Let me just say the thing I love about Stargate as a series, as the characters, they're just human beings going out into the world. It, it takes place in modern day, making completely human <laughs> mistakes yeah. all the time. Well, one of the great thing about the series is it's lighthearted. I mean, it talked about galactic domination and everything, but it's it it never takes itself. Too serious. Incredibly seriously. Unlike Star Trek, where you have these idealized human beings. Right. They've evolved past things like money. Figure that one out. But in SG-1 and Atlantis, Atlantis is especially well, like this. So, yeah, for 
we're going to gush on Stargate for just a little second here. Stargate SG-1, you know, it's about a team called SG-1. It's military reconnaissance team. They're going on planets, and they're usually fairly successful. Like Star Trek, where they go on a mission, they're introduced to some peril or some obstacle, and they usually usually get over that obstacle. Mm -hmm. Now, Stargate Atlantis was them going to a whole new galaxy, and the difference between that was they didn't want to recreate... (laughs) The same tone. Well, they they have the same tone in terms of character relationships and humor, but the difference they made is everything <laughs> that the Atlantis team does is wrong. Is they make bad decisions that always come back to haunt them in later episodes. So yeah, yeah there's still there's still those standalone episodes. But if you watch overall, yeah. there are overall arcs, and you do see characters and situations where they. Well, it's hilarious because Atlantis. The appearance of the Earth team in the other galaxy causes the main bad guys to become active hundreds of years before they're supposed to. And it completely throws off the balance of the galaxy. And you have them kind of basically bumbling around. Yeah, they created the enemy. Or well, they wake up the enemy, and they then they create it. others. Sean, advice for you, personally. Yeah. Never awaken an ancient evil. Just okay. Personal advice. Well, I think I can deal with that. Okay. But then when you get to universe, right? And universe was created for a number of different reasons. There, we had been on what? There was ten seasons of Stargate SG One, so that's a lot of continuity. And five of Atlantis, so fifteen seasons overall of TV. And it's about thirteen years, right? Right. And then they they had the Battlestar Galactica revival, which. Again, if we talk about canon and we talk about reboots and re-envisioning. Well, in terms, they re-envisioned the tone. In terms of what was happening in the universe, they go way out really far to the point where what happened in, in our galaxy and a different galaxy don't really matter. Right. Which is a good choice, right? I mean, they're not res- restrained by that kind of stuff. And they do play a lot into the lore in season two. Absolutely. Um, but the difference with the universe was... We talked about there's a lot of humor in SG-1 and Atlantis. They are, there are times where you will laugh. There is no laughing in, in, in universe. No, because the state the characters are in, these are people who effectively run in an emergency through a blind gate and end up someplace they didn't expect. With a, a, They're on a spaceship traveling at high speed, Throughout it's the a universe. spaceship that's incredibly old. It's falling apart, it, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. They have to, and it's it. not. And they're not just military in this one. The, the people that come over the planet are civilians. There, there's. Uh, it was an evacuation. There, yeah, yeah. There was they an evacuated the planet, and so they end up in this completely dire situation. And from moment one, they're fighting to survive, and yeah. so that necessitated a completely different approach. Yeah. And they're fighting against themselves for control because there's no clear-cut command chain because they're cut off. And so the human. military people kind of try to control the civilians. And the civilians, human drama is what yeah. we like to watch. And, and, and again, from that aspect, it wasn't done horribly. The actors are really good. The stories they told were good. There are characters that are morally gray, whereas you kind of had that in the other shows, but not to the extent that this show did. Um, well, so, so we had a bit of a misfire here. Yeah. Right. Oh, it just didn't it didn't the get fan the support. Base. So let's talk about fan base. So the reason we're talking about Stargate initially is we had fifteen 
years, 15 seasons, 13 years of show, which at the time was the longest running sci-fi show ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was recently announced like two years ago that the creators of the original movie were going to create a sequel to the movie and dismiss yeah. those 15, 17 seasons of of show and lore and characters and just throw them in the garbage bin. Well, not throw them in the bin. They Let's gonna, be fair. Mm. They were going to say, we already had an original story we didn't get to tell. MGM told their own story. We're going to tell you the story we wanted. This is the way they spun it. To try not to disenfranchise the fans. Because the movie itself was not a huge success. <laughs> Pardon me. So, what happens when they announce this? What do you think happens? I'm going to imagine some people had some visceral reactions. Pretty strong feelings, actually. Yeah. And a lot of the fans said, hey, Stargate was okay. We liked the premise. Well, people said they didn't like the movie. They liked what was built upon that foundation. Right. Right? 17 seasons of shows compared to a two-hour movie. And there's a lot of storytelling there. So guess what didn't happen? It didn't happen. Well, it could have. The rights fell apart. They couldn't get financing. And the fan backlash was huge. Yeah. Um, And MGM rightfully said, look... We may not be producing Stargate right now, but we see it as our Star Trek. And recently, recently, in the last year, yeah. they've launched their own DC universe called Stargate Command, another streaming network. They've launched a short mini series uh, called Stargate Origins, which we'll save our opinions for that for later. Yeah. Um, and they've kind of said, like you said, we see you. We're here, we're listening, and so that comes back. I kind of wanted to talk about respecting fan bases, because we've got, and mm-hmm. we're going to hit on all the stars. For some reason, right. the star franchises are the big ones, right? Well, you could also we, do Lord of the Rings. You could also do Conan. I mean. Yeah. But we know, we had a little podcast with you about one of the star franchises, right? Star Wars. And... Last Jedi. We talked about kind of storytelling and characters and development and kind of splicing and changing molding and kind of, mm-hmm. and again, we talked about a lot of things. Go listen to it. We it had, was our special episode. Yeah, it was a very special episode. We have Star Trek, which we've recently seen a resurgence in. We've had... Uh, and Star- I can explain that. The Ooh. Star Trek movies set in an alternate universe with J.J. Abrams and beautiful Chris Pine and weird Zachary Quinto, who is Spock, but he's edgy now. Um, did you watch the same movies I did? I did. He's he's edgy Spock. Okay. I think it was more emotional, not edgy. Well, that's what I meant. But he's emo Spock. He's, yeah. Um... And Simon Pegg is Scotty, which is actually (laughs) awesome. We have those, which they, they did the right thing with those movies by kind of saying they're over here. Well, it's not just that there's a lot of, and this is where we get into the business, right? There's a lot of rights issues with Star Trek because of the Paramount Viacom split. 
and we're not going to dive into that. Actually, we're linking to a video in the show notes that kind of explains the rights issues around Star Trek exactly. and how it's caused this division of Star Trek. And and it's really interesting. So you're talking about the the alternate timeline, right? That the, the um, Abrams verse is what the they Kelvin. call it. The Kelvin timeline. Yeah. And that was the big budget movies that came and made fairly well. They did. They tried to remake Star Trek the movie too, and it didn't do well. Then they actually made a good Star Trek film, and nobody watched it. Yeah, which was beyond. Um, even though all of those are more action centric, right? They're they're not the deep philosophical stuff that Star Trek has largely been known for. They were action, big budget action films with big budget action stars and special effects. And Beastie Boys. And way too much Beastie Boys. As a fan of the Beastie Boys, way too much. I love it. And I watched Beyond and it wasn't bad. But when that scene came on, I let out a sigh to say, we're doing this. Fine. I'm here for the ride. You said you caught up on Discovery. Let's talk about that again in a second. Okay. Um, But... Because of the rights issues, and these are things that happen in the background that the fans don't really understand, and I don't think some of the companies even understand who owns what and how they all interrelate. And this all comes down to the fight between Sumner Redstone and his daughter. And there's, there's, watch the video. It, it's fairly long, but it explains it all pretty well. And we talk about the original Star Trek series, right? The original series with Kirk and Spock in the in the sixties. Desilu Productions, then you have The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Voyager. and Enterprise. Yep. And the movies associated with that. Yep. Right. Ten movies of the six original. original series, four Next Gen movies. So there's an interesting theory, and it's in this video that we link to. Pause it, and it makes perfect sense. Why Star Trek Discovery doesn't look like we would expect a prequel to the original Star Trek TV series is because in order to license the rights to make a television show from CBS, they have a clause that says it has to be 25% different. And it's why when you look at the Star Trek films, visually the ships are different. They're bigger than they were. The, The costumes are different. The universe is different. So this is where things get really, really confusing. If I haven't already confused you, I'm about to confuse you more. Well, the only thing I would say about that is Star Trek Generations doesn't fit that mold. I would say the other three do and the original six do. No, Generations is under the original Star Trek license. Okay. Before that makes the Viacom split. What year was that? Do you remember? Roughly? I don't remember off the top of my head. Early 2000s? Yeah, it was early 2000s. That makes sense. Um, And so... The things we're seeing now, like Star Trek Discovery, is they call it the Prime. And this is a trick, right? Because in canon, a lot of fan groups talk about the Prime timeline. And we've talked about Spock in the first Star Trek film, the new first of the new Star Trek films. Right. You had Leonard Nimoy in it coming from what we assume to be the next generation timeline, going back in time and changing things. In fact, that was not the Spock from the Next Generation timeline because they didn't have the rights to use that character from that exact timeline. 
So this is a really weird concept we're talking about. When we talk about licensing and trademarks, it's usually for that character, right? We've seen that with the X-Men, with Marvel, where they don't show up in things because the rights fell under Fox, right? But now you're saying something incredibly different, which is a little harder, I would think, from a legal standpoint to enforce, is if you're saying, hey, Marty from Back to the Future... When he is in the 1985B timeline, well, that's a different license. That's owned by Fox now. But that's exactly the situation. That's crazy. And in order not to disenfranchise the fans who are already upset about the visual remaking, right? Because fans want new, but they, for some reason, want the exact same thing, which is odd. That's a different... They want... Yeah. Um, But one of the things I was going to say is, so the Prime marketing which was a brilliant move by bad robot and uh, paramount is effectively not the original star trek canon who owns that viacom why aren't they doing anything with it or actually is it paramount no i'm even confused now paramount owns paramount television cbs television owns the rights to the original star trek series Okay. And all of its continuity. So then Discovery, which is on CBS All Access, is in that universe. No, because it was created under the bad robot license, which requires it to be 25% different. This, See, this is where it becomes problematic. And this is the problem with canon. And the hole you fall into if you're a fan who wants to subscribe to the holy book of Star Trek. So, and it has nothing to do with the storytelling. Let's let's end this on a different note. Okay, that I didn't intend to do. We've seen a lot of things called remasters. We've seen reboots, reimaginings, right? Yeah. We mean cash grabs. Right, but we've seen some that are fairly successful, and it's like comic books. Like, right, we have Elseworlds in DC, and it was a brilliant concept, right? And it was it was. Done to counter-program against what DC did to make sure they never could tell alternate universe stories again because it confused people. Right. And then eventually creators said, hey, look, I want to tell a story about Batman in the Victorian era. Or if Superman was raised in the Soviet Union. Right. Um, And, And they were like, well, because of crisis, we can't do that. There's only one Earth. We'll do Elseworlds. These are out-of-continuity stories, and they exist in their own storytelling, which is exactly what DC needed, right? Some creative, different interpretations of these characters. Well, I think this is what these large franchise is needed, right? I mean, we, we had Star Wars, and when they came out with the new trilogy, the third trilogy, they basically said, hey, all that extended universe stuff, it's over here now. It's not gone. They did that. They said, We're just, we'll steal from it. Whatever we want. We're going to take components, but now the films, the cartoons are the prime timeline. Yeah, they're the only things that matter going forward. And the other universes, the Elseworlds equivalent, right? They're not gone. They're still stories. They you still can make still sense. enjoy the story. And I think that's what Star Trek needs right now is we've got, and that, that's kind of got what we got with the J.J. Abrams movies, right? Mm-hmm. It was kind of clear. This is sort of what could have happened. Right. Um, you know, you it did it, it distanced itself 
enough where we didn't have to feel like, oh, you're messing with those characters I love. But now we've got a little different quandary here. I've caught up with Discovery. <laughs> I, I've caught up. Second season just started. Um, you know, I, I think I, I forget how many episodes we reviewed that. It was a year ago, right? Yeah. And, and then and I, I had kind of wrapped up the end of the season. I kind of had a, a, a very emotional reaction to the first three episodes I watched. Cause that's where I, of season done. two, one season one. Okay. is where I stopped. No, right. I've, I'm, I'm caught up all the time. Okay. Um, but I, I went back recently and watched it through, and my overall opinion is I like the story they told. I like what they did. I don't... They showed the the Federation at wartime, which we kind of saw in Deep Space Nine. We saw it at a different timeline, which was different, and we got into some weird stuff and discovery mm-hmm. is especially weird because they're dealing with a lot of they're dealing with incredibly different technology that again we haven't seen or referenced which shouldn't the, exist if you were thinking about the originals yeah it, but it, it, like replicators and holodecks and com badges yeah there's a lot of different things <coughs> well just the the warp drive the the spore drive well which is a retelling of your galactic speed limit story yeah it is. Yeah, it's becoming that right now on the second season. You don't see any references to that in any of the... And so my my problem, my, my, my personal problem I have with this is, why did you pick this area? Why couldn't time? they just go forward? Why couldn't they... And, and we've got announced the Picard series. Which won't be in the original timeline. Again, and that's mind-boggling. But is it going to reference Discovery? Maybe. Maybe if it's an extension of the Discovery Or is it going to be its own Elseworlds tale of... I keep using Elseworlds because it's a good name for what that is, right? This is right. a different... Because it's a good thing. You know, we have these characters, these franchises that have lasted half a century or longer. We're getting up in the 75 anniversaries of some things. And in, in case of DC, I think yeah. we're going to live to see 100. So... um. Wow. I know, right? <sighs> but we know we know Spider-Man, Uncle Ben dies. There, every character in comics gets resurrected except for Uncle Ben, right? He's always dead. Um, and Batman's parents, right? Well, that's Sometimes. not even true anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes Bruce dies and so his dad becomes Batman. We know these characters. You know who Batman is. You know who Spider-Man is. Let's show you something else. You know, we're going to do Spider-Man in space or Batman in space because at the time everything was in space. That's cool. What becomes confusing is what the discovery, the, what do we want to call it? The paradox, the uh, conundrum. That's why I like conundrum. Hmm, I like that. It's, you know, I, I we had a lot of fans when we, we talked about Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery mm-hmm. initially that said, you know, I didn't follow it through Enterprise. I don't, you know, but I like the show. They were coming in. <laughs> They're coming in with new eyes, new expect, you know, not as many expectations or requirements for canon. Yeah. Because Star Trek has been dormant. Right. And you can watch it on Netflix, but. Which is cool. But as we go forward, you know, us Trekkies as we're named, or Trekkers. Or we're whatever. supposed to be Trekkers. I've never liked that name. It's in the back of her mind. and But the thing is, the show addresses this subtly. 
in 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 Discovery, we've seen the old school uniforms where a character says those are really bright and colorful with twenty five percent difference. Yeah, and we've the latest was Captain Pike said. I'm tired of these holograms. Strip out the holograms. Let's just do old-fashioned video screens. Yeah. Which is just like, what? <laughs> like, I you're pandering to me in the wrong way. <laughs> well, and there's other things. So I, I don't know if you recognize the episode. I think it was the last two episodes ago. Where they were dealing with the microbial spore monster. And they were... They were talking about music. Yeah. And it was all modern... Or semi-modern. Well, to that us. party, that party scene that they showed was like rock, and and if you remember Next Gen, whenever they had music, it was always sort of like neo-futural classical. You know, it's yeah. sort of like, and I can I can excuse that personally because I, my problem is the contemporary idioms they use. Yeah, and and that's something you didn't really see a lot of in Next Generation or even the old series, right? It just breaks me out of the scene. Yeah, when somebody like Tig Notaro says something that you would hear on a sitcom. Well, they're trying. If we want to equate it to something, and we want to bring this full circle, the characters are much more grounded and very similar to the characters in the Stargate series. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true, right? And especially with season two, we're kind of seeing those character bonds and conversations resemble humans. I'm just tired of Michael Burnham telling everybody they're wrong. Yeah. Including her commanding officer. Yeah. So to wrap this discussion up, I guess is, is, you know, the questions we put in our show notes is, does it matter? Does canon and continuity matter? And if it does, to what extent? Like we said, we can suspend our disbelief. We can imagine it. We can have, we can let things be bygones. Like we'll wash that over, but it's hard when they present facts or things so hard like we brought up in the Star Trek story with the warp thing where it's kind of like well come on you made a really big deal about this before you wrote yourself into a corner yeah and the story editors didn't catch it before you went to market and you know again like Sean said it with the Babylon 5 and you don't want to constrict a story and, and again the rules can be rewritten you just rewrite them and say, hey, well, this is no longer applicable. Well, we understood to be true. There's a new technology. Wasn't or, true. Yeah, that's fine. So I guess what's our question to the fans? Is canon something that you even think about? Or, so or do you, you go just... Back, go back to your original conversation, the original question when you went into the coffee shop today. Well, which part? Because we've been talking about this so long, I've forgotten what I told you. So you you said you went and got coffee this morning. Yeah. And you were trying to explain oh, the okay. concept of canon to your barista. No, no, no. It was it was a co-worker. Co-worker. Okay. Yeah. I thought you, it, the way you described it, it was like, <laughs> oh, I got a coffee for Shad, Shad Sean. <laughs> Let me tell you about canon. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Okay. Um, actually, I was talking to her about our podcast and she said, oh, you guys do a podcast. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do it tonight. And we're going to talk about this. And she's like, what? what is that? I've never heard of that before. And, and that kind of led me to say, well, okay, so... And we did the explanation at the beginning of this. Well, the only thing I would say that the easiest way to explain it to somebody is you ever read the book and then watch the movie and things didn't match up every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But anyway, um, yeah. So is is it is something you even as a fan of media, as video games, movies, history novels, right? I used the blue and the gray as an example when I was talking to her. John Jake's books, not Star Trek or Star Wars. And I said, if you remember the miniseries that they aired on, I think it was NBC mm-hmm. way back in in the eighties. Oh yeah story that they told was very different from what was in the books. And I said, so which you have a canon, the idea of continuity. And she got it immediately. And she's like, well, but history doesn't even have canon. It's all presented from a certain point of view. That's a really good point that I've never thought about. That's true. Yeah. That's a really good way to wrap it up. So let us know what you think. And do you think it a lot? You know, I personally will go into Wikipedia or the Stargate wiki. Wikipedia. Or Wikipedia for Star Wars. Or Game like, World. Hey, yeah, they mentioned that the DHD in this episode had a control crystal that could only dial the Milky Way galaxy. But then in this episode, they died. I love to get into the weeds with that. And I love, I especially love when the production and the producers of the show say like, yeah, we noticed that and it doesn't matter. <laughs> like yeah, When they're it, just completely open about we, it. We weren't going to worry about it. We had a story to tell. Yeah, so. Let's move on, Sean. Sure. We've got some fans giving of the back feeds this week, and we'd like to remind you, we have a voicemail box. You can call 267-TANGENT or 267-826-4368, and you can leave us a voicemail, or four, or seven, or one. So we know who start- you are. We're not going to call you out. We're going to start off with one from number one superfan Kyle. Uh, he left us a brief voicemail, so let's go ahead and take a listen. Hi, this is Kyle, number one super fan. Um, so I wanted to call and leave some feedback briefly about the so first the live stream thing. That sounds really cool, and I think you guys should totally do a live stream. I probably won't watch it unless like I'm just sitting there on the couch when it happens, or you you plan it ahead of time because it's you know contrary to popular belief, I do actually do a lot of things, and it's very rare that I'm just sitting around. Uh, doing nothing, and uh, probably why I don't play much video games anymore. That's why I listen to you guys while I'm doing those things. And the second thing was you guys were talking about time tropes and games, and I thought, you know, would be what's really what I thought about was underused times. That's what you guys were wondering. What about some underused times? Well, I think space games. Space games are super cool, and I love space. And I think it'd be, and there's not enough. There's not enough good ones where, you know, you're in the you're in the future, and you can do stuff like that. I know that there was Mass Effect. I know I've, you, you guys still love uh, that game where you fly around the planet and do nothing. Um, but I love Elite Dangerous, and I'm really hoping that you know there's just some cool ones in the future. So yeah, that's my brief my brief feedback. So I'm rambling for five minutes. Goodbye. Have a wonderful day. Kyle, what are you? Did you listen to our <laughs> podcast? By the I mean, way, we did do an episode on space games. We did, but. I don't think he addressed... He, okay, let's start off. We talked about streaming, and Sean and I are still working out the time on that because there's some timing things and we got to get the rig set up. But you basically said, yeah, I'll watch, but I probably won't. So thanks. Thanks for that. And, and secondly, we were You know, talk- I feel the same way. <laughs> we were talking about historical games, not space. Not future. Future's not history. We haven't written that yet. No, we did talk about alternate history, which could extrapolate that way, but that really wasn't the intent, yeah. right? It wasn't about getting us to the future. Right. I mean, if Nazis took over in the 50s and it's 
you know, 2020. Or they went to the moon. And... There's still some historical context. Yeah. Right? So uh, I guess, thank you. Um, interesting aspects. And uh, as, again, as always, Kyle, you've at least given us one thing. We now have this soundbite. This is Kyle, number one super fan. So thank you. Um, <laughs> and it will be used again. It will be used again. We also got um, some voicemail feedback from Boat and uh, Boat, which we're going to call number two super fan. So make sure you leave a voicemail and you'll get your number drinking. And we'll, we'll measure that leaderboard as the season goes on. So Boat talked about a few things, but I made some some bullet points to kind of summarize because he, he kind of was catching up on the road between three or four episodes, which, again, thank you for listening to three yes. or four episodes in a row. We're crazy. Um, I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I do it. I know you're crazy. Um, so Boat talked about – I made three things here. He talked about Spider-Man Far From Home. He mm-hmm. said, basically, it has a post-MCU feel. As a post Thanos feel, and that's what he was kind of inferring from why we said it felt differently. He was kind of thinking, yeah, this is definitely stuff's happened. Hmm. Thanos is gone, and, you know, where's Tony Stark? It has that, that's the feeling he took away from that. The second thing we said with, with our discussion about historical games was he was a history major. So he thinks about history a lot and loves history and thinks about it. And he said the biggest thing for him to balance is historical truth and sort of mm, fan fiction, essentially, of, 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 of historical events, historical events. And, you know, he, he looks at it from both aspects and likes both. And, you know, sometimes he has to s- suspend his disbelief. And but he also likes things that kind of dive into history a little deeper. Um, and then the, the thing he brought up, the, the specific example he brought up was uh, Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Which tells the downfall of Hitler and it focuses on a very rebellious group of soldiers. Um, great it's, story. Very vivid, very visceral. It's Tarantino's Dirty Dozen. It is. So thank you, everybody that has contributed. We also put a poll on our Facebook page mm-hmm. to talk about the upcoming Disney. Monstrosity. Actually, we'll save that for a later section. We'll come back to that. Um, Moving on to missed opportunities. Yeah. We have some for you for this week. And I'm going to start off. Hey, Apex Legends is out or whatever. Go play Titanfall 2. It's an amazing game. It is. Um, really Titanfall, good. the original, was kind of a, kind of re- received as sort of a tech demo. Until I, the, I absolutely agree with that uh, assessment. Until the, the future DLC came out. But Titanfall 2 was a complete package. It had a, and it told a really good story. It had a really cool single-player campaign with some mechanics that you have not seen in a first-person shooter. Um, and then the just the multiplayer was completely fleshed out with several different modes. And I think you can find that cheap on any platform. Um, I think I saw it on a flash sale. And I also saw it on Xbox for like... 10 bucks for, yeah. you know, gold members. So, I mean, I know Apex Legends is free, but if you want to have a cool single-player campaign set in the same universe, definitely recommend Titanfall 2. And my missed opportunity is another game um, called Tales of Berseria. And, again, I'm probably falling into a rut here talking about a role-playing game. But the Tales series is one of those Japanese RPGs that has a more action-oriented take and... You know, probably Tales of Symphonia and Tales of Asperia are the best known um, games in the series. Berseria was one that I I thought was really cool, but I didn't catch it when it first came out. 
And I ended up getting it as part of a Humble Bundle recently for the PC. And the thing I gotta say is, first off, female protagonist. The story around her is about her corruption and, and basically fighting the darkness. She gets cursed at the beginning of the game and, and kind of becomes the Witchblade, if you under, remember that old property from the 90s. Um, and sh- so she groups this builds these groups of people and she's seeking revenge. This is different, right? Where you've got this female character who's driven by rage and she's going for revenge. And I just, uh, I was really kind of surprised and, and I enjoyed the characterizations. So if, if you're a fan of the tale series and you didn't pick up Berseria, where can we find this? Which systems? So it's on the PS4. It's on steam. And I believe on the Xbox. Okay. So it's on major platforms, not Switch. Um, Yet. Well, that's a good point. But I think Symphonia came out on the Switch. Yeah, I did. So they, I don't think they're going to bring Berseria up. It's not quite to the caliber or popularity. So again, Berseria, Tales of Berseria was a surprising game, and I liked it, and I recommend it. Okay, great. So uh, rounding out this episode, we have another episode of One Dumb Things. We've got two this week because I just had to. First off, Bubsy has a Kickstarter. What? Are you familiar with Bubsy, Sean? I'm, unfortunately, I thought he was dead. No. Well, he had a revival game uh, like a year or two ago, and now they're already anchoring, hankering for another one. Who are these people? I don't know, and I haven't looked at the Kickstarter lately. Um, I'm gonna, I think I linked it here. Let's see if I can go to it. But um, who is asking for this? <laughs> Yeah, and I, 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 okay. They have thirteen thousand out of their twenty-five thousand dollar goal to bring B- B- Bubsy Paul's on fire to consoles, and there's only nineteen days to go, guys. So <sighs> hop on huh. that. Um, our second dumb thing, our second one dumb thing, is there Disney two released dumb things. Shh, that's why it's dumb. Uh, <laughs> Is Disney released yet another in their cash grab live action films, which apparently have three coming out this year. They have Dumbo, Lion King, and Aladdin. So they released this trailer. um, It was during some award show. I can't remember which one. And uh, it was the the Oscars, I think. And uh, I don't know. know. So we looks bad. And this is I'm going to speak. This is my opinion. I'm not trying to harsh on your love of Aladdin. I love the animated film. It's one of my favorites. How can how can you replace the performance of Robin Williams? Well, let's not even get, I don't want to get into that, but everything in this trailer, it looks like a made for TV movie. The CGI looks bad, the backdrops look flat, and every single actor, all four of them that are shown, uh Jafar, Aladdin, the genie, and um, the princess, what's her name? Can't think right now. I'm, Jasmine. I'm no. Jasmine. Jasmine. Yeah. That's what I said. Oh, I did I heard some. I, heard, I thought you said cashmere. <laughs> no. I'm tired. Jasmine. It's the cold. It is. <laughs> um, they don't express any emotion, and Jafar is like, uh, "Go in there and get me the lamp." Oh, okay. Where's the menace? Where's... And then Will Smith comes out as the genie. And again, a lot of people... Okay, so we put a poll out on our Facebook page. Yes. 
And we said, listen, basically I said, are you excited for this film or not? And I, the way I phrased it is there's, is there's only one Aladdin film or Disney. I am ready. I want to see this. I'm sorry to report, but the majority of people said there is only one Aladdin film. I feel the same way about Lion King. I do too. And the Lion King is my favorite Disney movie. And Dumbo, I'm not sure I care either way. But we're talking about canon and all this other stuff. I, I'm okay with the reimagining. Like the voice cast and what I've seen of Lion King, it's first off, it's not live action. It's CGI. Let's be open and honest. <laughs> it's another animated it film. Right? It's CGI. Yeah. The, but the voice casting seems really on point. This Aladdin film just looks like it literally looks like it was thrown out there and the trailer was given two weeks to be made and well it, the genie so the genie especially i have i don't have a problem with will smith being the genie the problem i have is part of what made the film so special outside of robin williams is it's an animated feature and the genie is incredibly animated and he looks like a genie out of a bottle. It's not like I dream of genie, right? It's oh. <laughs> no, but, it's not. But he looks like I put Will F- Will Smith's face on a buff genie or a buff blue. Well, guy. and here's the thing: the genie is again getting back into Robin Williams. Most of his lines were ad libbed. Yeah, he was one of the few actors that Disney allowed to kind of go off script. Because what are you going to do with Robin Williams? He's going to go off <laughs> he's, script. He's going to go places. So Will Smith doesn't have that Will, improv background. Will Smith's going to be Will Smith. Yeah. And I think that's going to date the film a little bit. And I, I, again, I don't have a problem. I think he's a really good comedic actor. And I think there'll be funny lines. Yeah, but he's sarcastic. He's not witty. Yeah. But again, it, it, we're talking about, is it? A live react or a, a live action remake or a live action reimagining, right? There were promotional f- uh, photos for the film where Will Smith was just a human looking guy with, uh-huh. you know, the turban and he was like, oh, he's a genie, right? That to me is a little more selling on the reimagining standpoint as opposed to kind of trying to say, like, look, he's blue and big, like Robin Williams. And- Maybe he starts that way and has to convert to save i don't know it's cg just, money i don't know I, again i i'm not my, and especially after watching alita there is no excuse for that level of cgi for that level of cgi i agree and again that's my biggest point i don't have a problem with him being the genie it's just that it looks so phoned in from a it doesn't look inspired and a lot of you have said well how did you expect like this is how i imagine will smith and i'm like then I, i'm sorry but i think your imagination I don't know. I just imagine something more animated. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to crap. If you want to see this, I, we want to know when you see it because I'm not. Yeah. We we will definitely wait for you guys to see it and listen to you how you feel. I and I, I don't want to crap on it. And it's not like I don't want you to go see it. If you're excited for this, go see it. Go see it. Enjoy. They're making it for you. They're um, not making it for me. But I think the majority of our viewers are kind of like iffy on this one. Well, and it's none of those movies. I think think Disney's not pacing these well. We're getting three live action remakes. They're trying to grab cash while people are still willing to shovel it out. Yeah. I mean, do you remember the days of the VHS sequel? The Vault? 
No, not the vault. The VH oh, yeah. sequel, yeah. Cash yeah. In. Cinderella 2, Cinderella 3, Lion King 1.5, Lion King 2. Hunchback of Notre Dame 2. <laughs> it was a thing. I actually owned it because my girls liked it, but I don't know why. They were Look, three it's and Mufasa five. in high school. <laughs> now, let's be fair. Lion King one and a half is a great oh, film. Yeah. No, I love, I do, I really do like Lion King one and a half. Lion and King two? Because Lion King two came out first and then they had to. Yeah, it was, um, it was the tag and bink are dead of yeah. the Lion King universe. Well, it was that whole scene where Simba's and growing up. And, yeah. you know, they did it in a montage in the movie and they fleshed that out a little more. It's well, what were Timon and Pumbaa doing while all these yeah. other scenes were going the on? Origin scene, the origins of Timon and Pumbaa as well. It was really fun. Yeah. Okay. So that ends this episode. Um, thank you for listening. We know this one was a little long. Um, Sean and I have been away. and um, As you can to- hear, I'm, I'm completely recovered from my... You look almost dead, Sean. <sighs> this is the third time I've heard that today. <laughs> So we thank you. Please leave your back feeds on our Twitter, our Facebook, our website. Um, stay tuned. We're going to have some more information about streaming in the future. Hopefully, maybe we're just going to continue to tease it until streaming is no longer a thing. And I know, but uh, let us make sure you let us know. And thank you. And we'll see you next time.